Welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 2 of the On Path Podcast. In this episode, I speak with Nelson Wang, most recently VP Marketing at Series C startup Zinier and earlier a Director of Product Marketing at Salesforce. This was a fun, high-energy conversation. As usual, we started with his origin story, which has two quite interesting aspects to it. One, he grew up in Mountain View, California, before it was as well known as it is now. Second, his mother was a very early employee at Cisco. Since graduating with a degree in electrical engineering, Nelson has had an exciting career that's seen him move through a variety of functions, including sales engineering, product marketing, and overall marketing leadership. He's currently on a sabbatical. We chat about what inspired him to take one mid-pandemic and also what he has planned for the future. I had high expectations coming into this conversation and Nelson doesn't disappoint. I hope you enjoy his storytelling, energy, and directness as much as I did. Enjoy. Hi, Nelson. Welcome to the On Path podcast. Thank you very much for joining. Yeah, you bet. So actually, uh, let's start with your last name. Uh, you were just going to tell me a story about it. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if you notice on the last name, it's actually typically spelled H-U-A-N-G. And so anytime I have to pronounce my last name, whether it's for like a driver's license, doctor appointment, those type of things, I always have to kind of emphasize it's H A and like leave a little bit of a pause before I hit the U and G. But I've got different stories depending on who you ask. So, I mean, my dad says it was just a simple misspelling when he immigrated here from Taiwan. Um, and so just kind of kept it, which has been nice because as I get screen names for, you know, Twitter, Gmail, those type of things, I always do a first initial and last name. I usually are I'm usually able to get those handles and screen names. But if you ask my dad's friends, though, they say that he was supposed to be taking some type of test. I don't know if it was a test for immigration and supposedly failed the first time with the normal spelling, H-U-A-N-G, <laughs> and then went another way around. And so just switched, swapped the letters to take the test again. So uh, I don't know the actual origin. <laughs> huh, wow, fun story. Yeah, I, did, I didn't think of that angle. It's actually great for... Uh usernames and handles yeah so uh although somebody has it has my instagram n-h-a-u-n-g so i have to use a different one for that one cool so so let's let's start a bit with your origin story and i know you grew up in mountain view really at a time when it wasn't a household name i think now in tech and even more broadly mountain view is a, is a well-known place so tell us a bit about how your hometown has transformed in these past decades yeah 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 for sure so I mean, this entire area in the Bay Area used to be kind of fruit orchards. And there's still, I think, a couple stands around like CJ Olson's cherries and things like that. I think it was around like the mid 50s or 60s where the semiconductor industry started to pop up. Um, and I think a lot of kind of the top engineers had moved from the East Coast over into like the Bay Area and settled here. So it's interesting because it's always been kind of a hotbed, I think, for tech and innovation, albeit pretty different with semiconductors, ICs and things like that, which is actually kind of what my, brought my dad and sort of his friends from Taiwan over here because he was, actually was practicing in semiconductors in that field. So we moved here probably when I was three or four. So actually ended up spending the first few years in San Jose before coming to Mountain View. 
And I think what's probably been most interesting is just seeing probably the change of demographics, in particular, more around kind of the careers and jobs that people have. I mean, I remember growing up here and you know, a lot of my friends, their parents were in different industries, right? And not everybody was just in tech, 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 tech. So you know, I had, I think, some classmates, like a soccer teammate whose family owns like a towing truck company that's still around. Um, and you kind of see them on the streets still. I think I had another friend who their family owned like a lawn maintenance business. So you saw a little bit more diversity in terms of, I think, the type of work that people were doing. And it's probably also indicative of kind of the housing costs. I mean, a hell of a lot more affordable back in the 80s. I mean, you look at the housing costs and housing prices around here, probably 10x uh, since then. So it's kind of the changes from that uh, perspective. And then, yeah. Yeah. And you, you really saw that in your lifetime, like when you were going to school, it was a very different place. It was an old tech. And now really in the past, I would probably 20 years, right? Yeah, I mean, probably a little bit of uh, kind of back to that diversity of maybe, you know, friends from different backgrounds. I think it's interesting, like downtown Mountain View, Castro Street was always the hub. So all that's changed there is probably just the mix of restaurants. Uh, and then also the people who frequent the area. And I think the other thing is probably seeing just a lot more housing pop up. I mean, down the street from where I live, there used to be a actually a big farm patch mm-hmm. that would kind of change with the different seasons. So they used to have a great pumpkin patch with like a train Christmas time turned into like Christmas trees and they always had a fruit stand there. And that right now, I mean, is all new housing probably 10 plus years ago. So highly valuable land. And then, you know, down on Camino, you're also starting to see a lot of more apartments, condos, a little bit more dense uh, yeah. housing structures being built. So, um, yeah. Cool. Cool. And so I know your parents also both worked in, in tech. So I'd love to hear how did that impact your thinking growing up? And do you feel like it was always a foregone conclusion that you would get into tech yourself? Yeah. I mean, I probably a little bit of destiny, I think. <laughs> um, so I mean, both my parents immigrated here from Taiwan and uh, my dad did his master's here in electrical engineering. And so kind of was always in technology and right out of the gate, he was actually working at startups. So I think at the time also, you know, integrated circuit design was just starting to take off. And my mom was actually coming more from a finance background and ended up though, I mean, even at that time, most of the companies were probably a lot of high tech companies. And so she ended up working at Cisco and kind of joining there pretty early on. So it's interesting, kind of both of them did go down the path of startups um, in the tech space. You know, my mom ended up staying with Cisco and kind of growing through that. Yeah, that was crazy experience for her. Whereas my dad was probably a little bit more like a serial type entrepreneur slash startup person. So you grew up in that environment and I mean, it's kind of like what you see day to day. And then also just being in the area. I mean, I still remember back in elementary school as playing like, like this pool, pool shot game, like an old Mac two and like doing typing programs. I still remember like the first PC that my dad brought back home. 
think it was like an IBM Aptiva. And like we had it set up on like a very low table and dialing in through our 14K modem going like into AOL and like going to chat rooms and that type of stuff. And so I you just I don't know, it's just very natural and you're just kind of immersed in this type of environment. Yeah. And did you did you have the chance at any point to visit your mom's workplace? How how was Cisco then? Oh yeah. So I think they actually got their start over in uh, East Palo Alto slash Menlo Park area, which probably at the time was not the best neighborhood. So, I mean, she would have stories about, you know, when she was starting there that kind of almost had like an escort to your car at night, hearing gunshots, things like that. But yeah, she used to take my brother and I, so I've got a younger brother, take us into the office. I don't know if she was actually doing work or just grabbing stuff, but I feel like it was almost like the early days of what every tech company out there does now with like free lunch and stuff. Cause we used to kind of poach Calistoga soda waters and <laughs> free popcorn. Um, so we had an amazing time there. And I also remember kind of going around and messing with people's desks and yeah. kind of playing with their ma- playing with their mouses. So it was, uh, it was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. And just to kind of place it at that point was Cisco, like a thousand person company, bigger, smaller. She joined as a double digit employee, actually. So oh, wow. okay. less than a hundred people um, and started off, I think oh, so mostly really? doing accounting. Yeah. yeah. I think back then with like kind of the original co-founders like Bosack and uh, Sandy Lerner, I think. Um, and I think some of the early days with like first CEO, like John Morgridge and just a bunch of stories from back then, actually. And several years back, actually, I was watching this documentary the name slips my not uh, mind, but it was essentially about kind of, I think, I don't know if it was a, specifically about Cisco or about kind of the growth of Silicon Valley at the time, but caught a scene where they were talking about Cisco and actually saw her in like a white <laughs> polo helping package up uh, like, you know, the routers and switches that they were selling at the time. Um, so I let her know about that. So it's yeah, she's there early, early, um, and kind of went through the explosive growth that they did. Nice. Cool. So, so you, you grew up in, in the Mountain View area and then you actually chose not to go to university too far away. Uh, you were in UC Davis and you studied electrical engineering and did a minor as well. Well, what took you to UC Davis and how did you choose your major and minor? Yeah. So actually, my top choice at that time was to actually go to University of Washington up in Seattle. And I don't know what it was about maybe the visit or maybe it's just being away from parents <laughs> further away. <laughs> but what ended up happening was because I had applied into UW under, I can't remember if I applied in for engineering, but kind of only got accepted for general school of engineering. And you have to like reapply back in after the first two years of core curriculum versus UC Davis, where I had a locked in major with electrical engineering. And so my parents probably knew me better than I did in my teen years. And would you say there was some compulsion from your parents as to what you should study? Oh yeah. I mean, growing up as an Asian American, (laughs) (laughs) you know, parents tend to take a strong perspective and uh, provide advice on what to do. (laughs) (laughs) So 
they, I mean, they are like, hey, you should go to UC Davis because you've got your major locked in. You don't have to worry about having to reply in again. And I mean, it's actually funny because I now thinking back, I literally signed the acceptance letter to UW and like had signed the rejection to UC Davis, oh, but wow. I hadn't mailed it yet. And so what ended up happening, like, I had, like chicken scratch it out. And like, actually, I will go to your school. But I think it was, you know, who knows what would have happened either way. But I will say I was not a great student. So it probably helped that I had a major locked in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I know your first job out of university, you worked at a telco uh, for slightly under a year. But it sounds like that was an underwhelming experience. So let's skip that <laughs> and, and go straight to your second job, which was a sales engineering role. So uh, yeah. yeah, how was that experience? Yeah, well, so I think taking that first job at the large telco helped teach me probably what I didn't really like. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it prompted me to go after that job. That's um, also very engineering. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was actually, it's funny because when I look back at kind of the thread of my career thus far, having spent time at that large telco and understanding capital infrastructure, it actually ended up coming back when I joined Zaneer because we were going after field service software targeting telcos, but we'll save that story for a little bit later. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so, you know, I was working day to day in a cube and kind of you're focused on your own work. And I think by nature, I'm probably a bit more of a social person, likes to build relationships. Uh, and so I had an old classmate who was over at a company called Brocade, actually a competitor of Cisco. So everything is always kind of full circle. But he was working there as a sales engineer. And I was starting to poke around and look at other opportunities. And, you know, the way he described his job, get to know the technology and understand it, figure out how to you know, message that to customers or partners. And you're out on the road meeting companies, meeting distributors, meeting resellers. And so it just sounded very appealing to me because it's a chance to take some of that technical knowledge and that foundation, but relate it to people and uh, relate it to you know, the challenges that businesses are facing. But you know, it was in the hardware space, so like a lot of, call it like feeds and speeds and things like that, so. Yeah, yeah, and would you say your sales engineering peers, what kind of background do they typically have? You know, at that time, because I actually joined right out of school, so there was, they had a really good university development program. And so a lot of us came out or, you know, I, I'd spent nine months obviously on the job market or having a job already, but some were fresh grads. Some did come from a little bit of experience. Most of the people though, came from electrical engineering or like engineering backgrounds into the S like direct into that SE role who were more junior. And then most of this, yeah. So I think they, most of them actually came from technical backgrounds because I think that's still a very solid foundation, right? Um, for a lot of the work that you're doing, especially at a hardware company where, you know, no offense against software, but I, I think it's a lot more technical in the hardware space. So, yeah. Yeah. But I might be biased also. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, uh, these years that you were just talking about, you were away from the Bay Area, then you went on to do an MBA. And that actually kind of takes you back to your Washington. So tell us about that. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I guess since I didn't go as an undergrad, I felt unfulfilled and went back for grad school. <laughs> no. So, I mean, at that time I had actually, so I had moved to Chicago for the job at Brocade and had been out there maybe two and a half to three years. I'm about just working as a sales engineer and got to the point where you get kind of how the job is done, right? And how you kind of get to market and the responsibilities. And you can either go down the path of becoming more senior SE, but I decided to just kind of jump out of it. So you're looking at some of the elements of, you know, what I liked was, you know, ended up creating some new training programs for partners, took a lot of the messaging that marketing had created and actually reshaped it, just given from my experience and what I was hearing from partners, distributors, customers, et cetera. And I think a lot of those were actually just the fundamentals of marketing, which is what took me back to school. Mm-hmm. So at UW, I ended up focusing predominantly on marketing and taking marketing courses. Yeah. What were maybe some of your favorite courses or most memorable moments from, from your MBA? Yeah. I'm actually really glad I took some of the basic classes around accounting and finance because I think people call it kind of the language of business um, and it gives you a really obviously good foundation so if you had to dig into like a 10k or something like that to just understand some of the numbers it's very helpful so I'm glad I had some of those foundational classes I think probably I mean one of the classes that stands out to me is probably one of the more impactful ones um, was this class by a professor named Elizabeth Stearns and it was essentially around kind of brand and like brand marketing. Most of the examples and like case studies were actually a bit more old school. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing like direct mail catalogs and like some of these, it's not kind of the digital focus, right? That the world has gotten to, but actually a lot of the fundamentals that were taught in that class, I think apply universally regardless of the medium that you're marketing through. So that one actually, I think I took two of her courses actually, and you don't think they're that impactful at the time, but actually it's kind of the, going back to some of those basics that I had learned. Yeah. And if you had to point people to, let's say two or three resources where obviously it wouldn't be anything close to the full experience of the MBA, but to get some of those same elements, some of those key lessons that you got, are there any that you can think of? I mean, to be honest, I, more of my learning came from jobs. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Although I think like from the MBA, what I took away was, yeah, kind of like the first foray into marketing, but a lot of like structure frameworks, how to approach business problems. Yeah. is probably more what I took away rather than some of the hard skills, I mm. think. So I feel like more of the hard skills came through actually actual on the job learning. And I'm not sure if that's really indicative of like an MBA program versus job or maybe just the way I learn. Yeah. I, I feel like I mentioned before, like I am a absolutely horrible student. <laughs> um, if it was yeah. 2021 and you were in that same position a few years out of school, two and a half years as a sales engineer, would you go back and do your MBA? If that was now 2021? You know, 
it's worked. I think it's, I feel like it's worked out for me. Yeah. So when I went into the MBA program, I mean, my goals were to move into marketing. And then the second was to actually leave hardware behind and go into a software company. So during your MBA program in between the first and second year, you know, you're usually going after an internship or some internship. And so, you know, up in Seattle, I mean, the two big heavyweights were Amazon and Microsoft. So, and in particular, I was looking more at like the AWS division because I didn't want to go and I don't know, sell toilet paper and stuff. Although I guess a booming business during the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pretty good for a the, few months, yeah. At the, at the beginnings of the pandemic. Um, so didn't end up landing internships there, <laughs> but I ended up landing an internship at Salesforce. And that kind of changed probably the trajectory and maybe direction of my career, I think. It was definitely kind of a huge boost and opened up all the doors that I've had recently. So for me, it, I think it worked out. It made sense for me, but you know, it's not always the only path if you're looking to do a career switch or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about Salesforce. So you, as you mentioned, you did your MBA internship there, but you clearly liked it enough to go back and you were there for four years. You rose up to the role of director of product marketing for the app cloud. So yeah, tell us, tell us a bit about your experience there. Some highlights, some, some of the best stories. Yeah. 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 Some of them probably can't be told um, <laughs> <laughs> without permission or I'd have to change names. No. So yeah, I, so I started as a intern there or between the first and second year and was on the main product line. So the main CRM that everybody's familiar with, which is called Sales Cloud. And at the time that summer, so this is 2012, I think it was right around seven or 8,000 employees, which obviously is pretty large, but it actually didn't feel that big. And part of the reason is probably because the product marketing team was maybe six to eight people during that summer. Um, that I first joined. And, you know, this was a team that was supporting, I think at the time was already a $1 billion plus AR product line. And the way the teams were structured, you know, product marketing rolled up into the GM of the business unit who owned the PL. And so even though you're titled product marketing, at the end of the day, you were there to help drive the achievement of the revenue targets for the business unit. And so, you know, you worked very cross-functionally with kind of corporate marketing, which handled demand gen and the structure, I think has flipped back and forth quite a bit, but you get a lot of exposure to everything under the sun. So, I mean, during the time when I first joined, I, I think the best thing was uh, joke that I was the dumbest person there, but I was working with folks that had been doing marketing for 10, 15, 20 years. And so to just be able to soak up that knowledge was priceless. Working on feature videos and kind of recording your voice and getting like all the tips and tricks on how to write a compelling feature video. I mean, the simple things like, hey, you should just sit there, read it out loud and see if anything sounds funny to yourself and weird to yourself or how to do certain intonations on like certain areas, how to sound happy when you're recording. Just so many fundamentals for, I think, 
my skills were learned during my time there. Yeah. I could go on and on about it probably. So, I mean, it sounds like it, you know, it was an amazing success. You, you were there for many years, but it would, was kind of your second choice. When you started, did it feel like I didn't get what I wanted? I wanted Amazon or Microsoft and... It's... So wanting Amazon and Microsoft is maybe not necessarily like for the company. It was more for like, I want to go into software. And mm. so for me, I think I'd always wanted to come back to the Bay Area. Yeah. But I think at the time, I felt like the intermediary step would have been coming out of UW, working for an Amazon or Microsoft, obviously well-known in the software space, and then at some point transitioning to some software company back in the Bay Area. Yeah. And it's funny how things kind of work out because I couldn't even land an interview at Amazon. And then I went through kind of the full gamut with Microsoft and it would have been working on Internet Explorer, which was actually not even that interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the internship anyway, so I didn't have a choice. And getting rejected from those two you know, I, I ended up then tapping my network and so reached out to a friend who was working at Salesforce at the time. And, you know, she managed to just put me in touch with the hiring manager and was able to join. And so it almost kind of bypassed that step. So I wouldn't say Salesforce was like a second choice or anything, but mm -hmm. I also had no clue who Salesforce was and like what the hell they yeah. did. Like, there's like, oh, software company. Okay, I got a friend who works there. Yeah, let's give it a shot. I need an internship. Yeah. <laughs> and and what what made you want to come back to the Bay Area? Yeah, family and probably the industry and the career. Wanted to stay in high tech, and yes, there's a lot of other innovation centers, and even Seattle's got you know a great tech scene. But you know, I think there's still something about being here in the Bay Area, and then also really family. So parents, yeah. brother here, and then also now you know, my in-laws are also here. Also, although I was not married at the time, but strong influence also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah. And okay, so more more recently you were VP marketing at Zinier and I know there was quite a growth journey, went through multiple funding rounds. Walk us through that journey. Yeah, so I did have a, I'll say transition company when I left Salesforce and kind of like first foray back in, or not back, but like first foray into the world of startups. But yeah, so I joined Zineer back in, I think it was 2018, uh, the summer of 2018. So spent two and a half years there. So at the time when I joined, it was right around 60 people globally. And it's actually a global company from the get-go. So here out of uh, Burlingame, there was actually only the CEO, the head of ops, and then they had brought on a designer already at the time to support some of the, um, some of the different efforts. So it was actually, I think only the three of them. And then I was basically the fourth person here based out of the US, which was actually supposed to be the HQ. So joined Series A, 60 people globally, first marketer. So brought on to kind of build what marketing is at the company. What, what was the state of marketing when you joined? They, they had a pretty good website um, because one of the founders comes from actually a design background and like consumer design. So website looked fine. I think they did take me through what their pitch deck looked like 
And mm-hmm. I don't think they'll be offended when I say, you know, it was just all over the place. And so you didn't really understand kind of what the core message was and what the hell the company really did and why it was different. So they had kind of their pitch decks because they were already obviously pitching a customer or pitching the prospects, a couple kind of data sheets that were driven by the head of ops. So pretty minimal, mm. I would say. Yeah. 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 Cool. And then, and then, so, so you joined and what were some of the, your first priorities? Yeah. So I think the first was just getting people aligned on what the real narrative for the company was, you know, it takes on a few different elements, but you know, first joined, went through a lot of kind of the research phase of just, you know, for myself trying to understand what the hell the field service market was and who the players were in that space. And you know, every large company was, had a presence in the space, mostly through acquisitions and you know, chatting with some prospects and some customers to understand how they saw the space and talking to our, you know, some of the sales folks. So there's already a small sales team when I joined. So really trying to get my, wrap my head around the industry and how we may try to approach differentiating ourselves against the likes of Salesforce, Oracle, mm-hmm. SAP, Microsoft, ServiceMax. So all these massive players that have been in the space um, for quite a while. So my initial focus was really on crafting that narrative. And yeah, so it started there. And then I think the other elements were also just starting to build the foundations of a marketing team and establishing the what the marketing team looked like. So that was kind of what I started with. Yeah, and, and so you built that team actually to quite a few people. Yes. What, what are the key things you look for when hiring people? I think early on, yeah, is looking for some expertise in certain areas. So, you know, I come more from a product marketing background. And so I definitely needed a demand gen person to supplement kind of my skill set and my experience. But early on also, obviously, I think most companies talk about content marketing, kind of investing early upfront, because it also helps serve all your demand gen programs and you know, get kind of the awareness out there. So I had a content person who could write but also kind of took on a couple of different hats. So he had come from a PR agency directly prior to that. So he was also managing a bit of the PR and then also brought on a product marketer who, you know, for me, product marketing is such a blend of different roles and different skill sets. I, I always like to call it like a Swiss army knife and maybe that resonates with you being out in Zurich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I think actually folks that, can adapt and are okay with taking on different tasks and different roles within the team or the company is pretty important. So I think that's one of the core things. And then the second is just dedication and just hard work because it's quite a grind. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So uh, since you've been in, in both kinds of environments, let's say somebody wants to get into tech marketing would you, assuming that it was both options were were a, a possibility for them, would you recommend first going to a much larger company like a Salesforce or Microsoft where you really learn the frameworks inside out, but maybe work on a much, much smaller area mm-hmm. or a series A type of startup where you get to 
dip dip your hands in everything, but uh, yeah. you don't have that that framework and structure. Yeah. So I was actually doing a panel for UW a few weeks ago and very similar questions we were talking about startups. And I think it probably comes down to your manager and how much influence, you know, your direct manager can have on your day to day, but also kind of the growth of you as uh, a person, both in the office and outside of it. So sales, I mean, Salesforce nowadays, the teams are so big and you don't necessarily get to dip your toes in the breadth of what product marketing can offer. So, mm. which is good and bad because you can at least build some expertise in certain areas. But what I loved about my time there was, I mean, you were doing everything under the sun that typically falls into the giant bucket of, oh, we have nobody else to do this. Product marketing, go do it. It's kind of what I feel like. Um, yeah. But it was amazing to have that experience and just learn from experts. And so the time at Salesforce really came down to the people that I was learning mm -hmm. from. And I think even at a startup, you know, maybe it doesn't have that great structure and like training courses and all of that, that larger companies tend to offer. But if your direct manager is an amazing tech marketer who is also a great coach and will help nurture you, I mean, the learnings there are also just can be exponential. So I think it really comes down to the people, but at the same time, also a startup, I mean, you're just doing a lot of different things and, you know, is it best practice? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, yeah. but I will say, I mean, my experience at Salesforce opened up all these doors at startups. So yeah, tough to say one way or the other. So, so let me ask you this then, somebody wants to get into tech marketing what should they look for in their direct manager? Mm. Somebody who cares. <laughs> Somebody who knows what they're doing and cares. So how do you evaluate that? I don't know. <laughs> how do you find that out in like a couple of rounds of interviewing? No. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's tough. I guess it's like just asking the proper discovery questions. It's probably something that I'm still trying to figure out, right? As I evaluate potential next opportunities for myself. I mean, if you have a network already going, just talking to probably past employees or if they already have a team there, how can you ask the proper questions to really suss out what it's like to work for this person? Now, the second is, I think probably tougher is understanding their skills and sort of level. You know, most people obviously look back at the resume or I guess LinkedIn profiles now to see what they've done and sort of titles that they've had. But, you know, I don't think it's always indicative of how skillful somebody is at the tactical skills of mm. whether it's product marketing or mar marketing in general, because like at the end of the day at a larger company, I mean, when you start to work your way up, you might even know less, yeah. but you're probably good at, working your way around and <laughs> I mean you're you're man you're managing stakeholders, right? Quite a bit. Yeah. Not necessarily, oh shit, I gotta go redo our positioning and messaging or mm. holy crap, we should overhaul our website. Kind of the nitty gritty, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And sometimes that takes uh, that takes weeks or months, right? It's not 
it's not easy, but it definitely helps if you can kind of find out through your network, or of course, if you can work with someone you worked with before that you had a great relationship with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best because uh, you know, right now I'm starting to poke around and kind of figure out what I may want to do next. And I mean, going back to your network is probably always good and kind of past leaders that you've worked with who you like. It's definitely a good route, I think. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk a let's talk a little bit about that now. So you you left your VP marketing job after two and a half years to take some time off, and actually this is the topic I'm very interested in. You you took a break. So a couple questions for you: Why take a break? Why now? And more generally, what are you up to at the moment? Yeah, sure. I know you are also just coming off a extended break. So yeah, I mean it was a whirlwind two and a half years ads in here and I don't think necessarily anticipate how draining it is, uh, not just physically, but in particular, like mentally. So it was my first job as a marketing leader and not just being in product marketing. So, you know, having to essentially learn on the job, you know, reality is a stretch role for myself. So trying to keep up with the paces of the job and the demands itself as a marketing leader, but then also as an executive at the company, stress that's driven outside of marketing initiatives was also pretty high. I mean, you're focused on like company culture, how to grow the company, a lot of those elements, like even how to align the company around OKRs and like the message that you don't really anticipate when I think you take on like a marketing leadership role. So it was a lot. And also because we are a global company from the get-go, I mean, the hours are pretty demanding also. So you're working Pacific time hours during the day. And then I'll go eat dinner with family, try to spend a little bit of time. And then you're back on calls again to talk with Asia. So, I mean, our engineering team was out of Bangalore, India. The other co-founder and we did a solid team like product UX, product UI, and PMs out of Singapore. So you got a weird 12 and a half hour difference, 15, 16 hour difference. So it becomes pretty draining. And so for me, just wanting to just, okay, uh, just recharge the batteries and take a little bit of time for myself. It's kind of what prompted. And was it kind of like a, a single moment where like the switch flipped or was it cumulative no i mean they were towards the end of my tenure there so like you know october november 2020 there were a lot of changes happening to the business and mm. you know to me not super favorable changes <laughs> so and i'll leave it at that for now since they still have a bit of runway to see kind of where it ends up but I think the direction of the company and where it was going and just not necessarily the right fit for what I was looking for anymore. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say it's a switch, but a lot of those changes kind of prompted my decision on, okay, is this still necessarily the right place for me? Just decided that it wasn't. So yeah, here I am. Yeah. And so I would say it's still very much out of the norm, right? Like you you leave a job and then don't immediately move on to another job. What was the reaction of family and friends? Parents are probably the worst. Goes back to growing up Asian American. Uh, 
No, so wife is super supportive and we're fortunate enough, like from a financial standpoint that I'm able to take this time off. So she's very supportive. And I actually did something similar when I left the previous startup before I found Zanir. It was probably maybe about two months off, but just kind of took a short break. Parents, on the other hand, I mean, every time I go over to dinner with my dad, he's like, hey, so what are you doing? You should probably start looking. No? Yeah? Huh? (laughs) Because it's not normal, I think, for them and their generation to take a break uh, in between jobs, right? And most people want to make sure they secure something before they leave their current job, which, you know, different reasons for that. And for me, being able to remove the financial aspect from it gives me a bit more freedom to really pause and, you know, reflect back on those two and a half years on what I liked, what didn't go so well, and kind of learnings for myself. And so as I approach my job search, being able to have some time to digest everything that I went through in the past two and a half years, but then also kind of see what's out there, poke around a bit more and take my time is kind of what I guess I just want to do and am able to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and so tell us a little bit about the outlook. Have you at a kind of high level thought about what type of company, startup, large tech? Yeah. Industry. Yeah. 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 So I've got a kind of couple different variables that I've been working through in my own head. And, you know, a lot of times you're figuring out, okay, oh, what stage company do I want to go into? And I think a relatable factor I'm looking at also is do you go in and lead all of marketing again? So go shoot gun for like a head or VP of marketing role again, or maybe go back into just product marketing and maybe lead product marketing for some organization. And those I feel like also fluctuate with the stage of company. So going into an earlier stage, I'd probably liken that a little bit more into a general VP of marketing role versus a later stage where it's a bit more established. Maybe the team's already built out a little bit more and you're looking to scale up product marketing. Maybe that's a later stage or already public company. So I'm considering kind of that as part of the mix. And then the other major thing for me also is, and I'm not a fan of buzzwords and kind of trending words, but the whole concept around product-led growth companies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's all, all the craze and there's, you know, I've been actually consuming podcasts and doing some readings on just, you know, what it means, kind of the skill set for marketers that want to go into a more product-driven company. So that's another consideration for me right now also is, okay, do I want to look for a company that has more of that product-driven go-to-market motion? And I've been looking at it as kind of more like a distribution mechanism at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Or kind of go back into more of a sales-led go-to-market motion, which has been more of my experience as sitting more in the sales-led. Yeah. And since since we're on the topic, what are some of your favorite product-led companies? It doesn't necessarily have to be companies that you're looking at, but just yeah. companies that you like in general. It's funny because I, so I, I like reading about technology and I like reading about companies and kind of understanding how they went to market and kind of the history behind them. I don't necessarily think I like the company company. I, I don't know if that even makes sense. 
And so it's more interesting in like kind of how they've gotten to market and sort of the story and backdrop for the company. And, you know, you hear a lot of stories out about like Slack and you know, it started as like a gaming, gaming company and like a mm. gaming chat company and seeing kind of that evolution to what it's become is what's interesting to me. Now, obviously yeah. they went through kind of a freemium model where, you know, they were doing no concentrated effort in sales or marketing, at, at least at the start before, oh, holy crap, wait, you got to sell to enterprises and you want big deals. Okay. You need some salespeople. So, I mean, that's probably one of the easy ones. Another interesting, cause I've been talking to a couple companies also who are just figuring out how to either be more product driven, but also balance that with more of a sales led approach. And I think about like Dropbox and Box, like they took two kind of different approaches where Box, you know, whether or not from the get-go, they're more focused on enterprise companies, always knowing that they wanted to sell the businesses, whereas Dropbox started more on the consumer side and individuals, and then worked their way over into more of the business side. So uh, it seems like an interesting balance for the, depending on the type of company, you know, if you've got an application that's geared towards individuals, how to balance that also with, okay, it takes off inside a company, and now you're trying to sell the company licenses or whatever it might be so well yeah i'm excited to see where where things take you yeah thank you thank you i thought maybe we'd wrap up with something new for season two which is rapid fire questions Uh oh. So, ready for it uh let me buckle up all right pretty straightforward actually so first favorite beverage during working hours maybe green tea like ice green tea or some type of iced tea. I do drink coffee also, um, but I usually use that to kind of start the day, but then throughout the day it'll be like iced tea. Nice. So it's March, 2021 now, it's still a lot of places in lockdown. Place you're most looking forward to visiting once all, all the restrictions are lifted. Mm. Probably an airport. So I did not expect that. The airport is a transition place to go somewhere. <laughs> so, I mean, I love to travel. I saw family, you know, in Thailand, Taiwan and abroad. And we would, you know, with my family, we would travel relatively frequently, like two or three times internationally a year. So looking forward to the day where I feel safe stepping back onto a plane and into an airport to just go somewhere. Favorite piece of software at work? Favorite piece of software at work? Probably Evernote. Hmm. So I use Evernote to take digital notes, usually, just because it's probably a little bit more searchable. I, I'm actually kind of a traditionalist, so I still carry paper notebooks, and I think there's still something about pen and paper. But if I had to, it'd probably be Evernote. I mean, I have just a ton of notes and kind of brainstorms and just random thoughts inside Evernote. Nice. Favorite podcast? This one? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so actually, I, I, I consume actually quite a bit of podcasts. So even with the pandemic and people working from home, you know, I actually drop, so I surf. And so it's usually like an hour and a half plus round trip, either to San, Santa Cruz or up to Pacifica. So I actually consume quite a bit of podcasts. Depends on what I'm trying to learn. So 
when I want to turn my brain off, I listen to the Conan O'Brien podcast. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. That one, David Chang podcast. So he's a chef restaurateur. Love his podcast. And there's a, oh, the other one that a past colleague, John Johnson, put me on. It's called Song Exploder. So they have a Netflix show now. But I was actually, for some reason, I was listening to a lot of Song Exploder right after I left Zaneer. And I think it was because they just walked through the creative process and the creation of a song. And they break down all the different elements that go into it, making that song. Um, it's sort of like it's an exploration into that, which I guess there's a lot of parallels into marketing when you're trying to craft, maybe this is probably too hoity-toity, but when you're trying to craft like the narrative and story for a company, I mean, you're also breaking those type of things down to create something that's, I guess, expressive and relatable to people. <laughs> so, but that might be, uh, I don't know, maybe too much time off. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, I'll, I'll add the links to that in the in the show notes. A lot of, I mean, a lot of also just like marketing ones also for to just kind of continue to learn from that aspect as well. If yeah. you want those also. Yeah, yeah. Actually, well, actually, this transitions well to the to the final question, and I'm especially curious since since you've been off for a couple months now. So, something new you've learned or want to learn? Ooh, let's see. I mean, I learned how to apply to kindergarten applications and how to position your son. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I spent my first Was it harder was... than your college applications? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, tell me about the strengths of your four-year-old. <laughs> like, what the? Okay. And opportunities for growth. So it was actually fun. Like, actually, I don't know if fun's the best word, but... I mean, putting all my marketing juices towards kindergarten applications. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, but no, I, I mean, narrative. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, I, I might've went overboard. I think I had to like pull myself back a little bit. Um, <laughs> no, so something new, I, I kind of maybe go back to this whole product-led, product-driven motion. Or, I don't know. I, maybe I'm still kind of figuring out exactly my take on it. Um, and I've been mostly thinking about it as sort of a go-to-market motion and kind of distribution me mechanism, right? So I'm trying to drive growth and adoption through the product versus traditionally like a sales person. But I also think it matters on like how high the ACV is on whatever it is you're selling, right? So I'm not sure if I'm learning like, oh, this is all super new. I guess I feel like it's new to me because, mm. you know, it's in the back of your brain, but then now I'm starting to like just dig in by listening to different podcasts, uh, reading things online and just chatting with some old colleagues around this whole trend around product led, product driven, product, whatever you want to call it. Actually, I was just talking to an old manager yesterday who's over at a company that is doing some of the product led initiatives and she's been joking around, she's CMO over there. How about marketing led? growth, <laughs> like, which just because it's through the product doesn't mean you're not doing any marketing or sales, right? So I've been uh, reading up and kind of listening to different podcasts to just understand that a bit more because I think, you know, they want to kind of take a career down that path also. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, I, I can't let you go without asking you 
about surfing since you mentioned that. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so picked up, surfed a couple of times um, here and there, usually like on trips to Hawaii when I was growing up. And then you know, I had always kind of wanted to go surfing and you know, snowboarded during the winter. So I think it was finally my wife was away for, I guess, girlfriend at the time or maybe his wife, I can't remember anymore. She was away for like a girl's weekend. And so I had the weekend to myself and finally decided to get off my ass and go over to Pacifica and take a lesson. And yeah, I don't know, I feel like everybody who serves kind of talks about it, you just kind of get hooked where it's something about just not even really riding the wave because it's so infrequent. Like you spend like 80, 90% of your time paddling Mm -hmm. trying to catch a wave but there's just something i think about it like just one takes your mind off of everything because you're just out there when you're sitting there scanning the horizon just trying to read the incoming waves and you're just so focused on that versus all the other shit that might be going on in your life and i think the second thing is also i don't think there's a level where you just peak and you just stop learning because every, like, it's the one, maybe there's a couple other sports, but it's the one sport where you actually cannot control the environment. Although there's a bunch of wave pools that are being built, but you look at like the Olympics and like these competitions, the environment has such a play. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, whether you win or I'm not in competitions, but every day is so different depending on the weather the swell the tide there's so much so many variables and i feel like it maybe this is kind of a personality trait also is just everything's always kind of different and you never stop learning so the past month and a half two months been able to surf a lot more i feel like i'm progressing but holy shit i'm basically still like a beginner yeah. <laughs> like, always learning always day zero i guess is, is it yeah. amazon or whoever <laughs> nice yeah well, that's that's a, a powerful metaphor to end on i think as as a metaphor for your mindset yeah so thank you nelson well, thank you so much this is this has been incredible thank you for having me and uh yeah love this well that's it for this episode as always thank you very much for listening if you've been enjoying the show i'd really appreciate a rating and review in your podcast app Thank you and see you next time.